Good morning, everyone. Let's be seated together. If you're new with us today, my name is David Cassidy. I'm lead pastor here at Spanish River Church. It's a joy to welcome you as we are in the middle of Advent and looking forward and anticipating, celebrating the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So welcome this morning. As we turn to the Scriptures, we open up the Gospel of Matthew today, and um, we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel for several months as we look at the life of Jesus, the story of which, of course, begins with his birth in Bethlehem. In opening up that gospel, we find that God in his mercy is showing us his salvation in Jesus, how he does visit, how he answers the longing that we've all just heard and sung together, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Lord, we long for you to be among your people. And that longing, which for centuries grew in the hearts of God's people as they looked at the weariness around them, has inspired people now for 2,000 years to rejoice in the salvation that was given in Jesus Christ. A weary world rejoices. That's the theme that we're looking at here in Advent. And the reason that we can rejoice, it's not some positivism that simply says, look on the bright side even though things are dark. No, what it says is that God, who said, let there be light into the midst of the darkness, has come as the light into the darkness of the world and into the darkness of our own lives, into the darkness of our own hearts to make his love and his splendor known. And that is why we can have joy. It's a joy not in ourselves, but a joy we have in Jesus Christ. And that should in some ways inspire wonder in us this morning, a wonder that God has had mercy on us. And I want us to look this morning at the surprising mercy of God. When you open up the New Testament, you open up first to the Gospel of Matthew. He's the first one that we encounter telling us this remarkable story of the birth of the Savior in Bethlehem. And the reason he was inspired to tell that story is because, like so many of you, he was himself astonished at the wonder and the mercy of God. And I want us to enter into that a little bit this morning. And one of the ways I think we might be able to do that is if I would just ask you to employ a little bit of sanctified imagination, I'd like for you to think about a couple of people visiting at Spanish River next Sunday. It's the very first time. Let's imagine. Let's imagine this. It's the very first time they're coming. I'm going to talk to you about two people, and I want you to think about how you respond to them as you see them walking in or perhaps pulling in the parking lot. I want you to think about how you respond to these particular people. Okay, the first is a man who was born in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, he uh, imbibed white supremacist literature in his teenage years. So inspired by the hatred that he encountered, he decided to look for the most violent group of the Ku Klux Klan he could find and join them. So he moved to Mississippi, and he joined the White Knights of the Klan, and before he was even in his early 20s, had bombed 30 synagogues and churches and homes. 
before he was apprehended. He was called the most dangerous man in Mississippi. He's coming into your parking lot next Sunday, right? He was finally apprehended in a shootout with police. He himself was shot four times. His accomplice was killed. After he recovered from his wounds in the hospital, he was sentenced to prison in the Mississippi State Penitentiary. He escaped. He got out, began to do more acts of violence, apprehended again, another accomplice killed, back to prison he went. What will you do with him when he comes into your parking lot? Hmm. Okay, here's the second one. It's a woman. This woman is a tenured professor in the English department at a major Northeastern University. Uh, She's a lesbian in a monogamous, active relationship with her live-in lover. She teaches women's studies in her department. Um, She advocates for AIDS research, the uh, sexual abuse recovery, rescue animals. She's the coordinator of the gay and lesbian advocacy group at her Unitarian Universalist church at which she's a member, even though she's an atheist. Her primary field of teaching is critical theory because she's an expert in 19th century philosophy, particularly the work of Marx and Freud. She uh, created the university's domestic partnership policy. Her exposure to Christianity resulted, and I'm going to use her own words here, of thinking of Christians as people who refuse to read university material in the classroom because knowing Jesus means they don't have to know anything else. Christians are just people who brandish God hates fags signs at gay pride events. Her car, as she pulls into the parking lot next week, is is decorated with uh, pro-gay, pro-abortion stickers, and she's got a butch haircut, and she's got a tongue sharp enough to cut into anybody who disagrees with her. And I want to know whether or not she's going to sit with you next Sunday. What are you going to do with her? You see, most churches look at someone in either of those two narratives and they think, I'm not sure what to do with that person. (laughs) That person is, they look a little, well, let's just put it this way, dangerous to me. And sometimes we think that some people who we look at and go, oh, well, they look kind of cool. They come from that neighborhood. They work in that kind of job. Why, I'd love to have them in our church. There was a guy who came to Jesus, and the Bible describes him as a rich young ruler. And Jesus said, leave everything and follow me. And it says he went away sad. He didn't take up Jesus' invitation to come and follow him. It says, because great were his possessions. Jesus said, leave everything you have, come and follow me. He's the perfect candidate for most churches. He's the rich, young ruler. That's what you want, right? You want somebody who's rich and young and a ruler. That's the guy you want in your new members class, right? And so when he turned away and went away, Peter and James turned to Jesus and they said, just say 60%, don't say all. (laughs) 60, maybe 30. We can get him in. We can work with him. We like this guy. Several times over the course of ministry that I've been in, several times over the years, I've had people come up to me and say to to me about someone, they'd be such a good Christian. Now, what do they mean by that? What they mean is that that person is already pretty good. 
And they, they, if they just would add Jesus into their life, you know, then all the ducks would fly in formation. And they would be such good people to have at our church. But you see, that whole kind of thought doesn't take into account what we're talking about today, which is mercy. The mercy of God that's given in Jesus Christ. See, let me take, talk to you about that KKK guy. Let me, let me tell you that the, the wife of the police officer that apprehended him and shot him made him her prayer project. And then he was converted. And then he went to college. And then he went to seminary. And then he became the president of the C.S. Lewis Institute in Washington, D.C., but you didn't see that under the hood, did you? <laughs> and the professor I told you about, would it shock you to know that today she's the wife of a Reformed Presbyterian pastor and a homeschool mom and is a wonderful evangelist and apologist and author for the Christian faith? What happened to these people? Her name, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Rosaria Champagne, when I first told her story about, oh, I don't know, oof, gosh, 10, 12 years ago now at the congregation I was serving in Austin, Texas, Rosaria Champagne, let me tell you her story. Two people came up to me at the end of the services. I was greeting people at the back, and they said, not Rosaria Champagne, English, English professor at Syracuse University. I said, that one. And they said, we had her as a professor. There's no way she's a Christian. <laughs> yes way. Yes way. See, when we encounter people, we need to have a fresh vision in all of our encounters. A fresh vision of the mercy of God embracing and entering their life. Listen to Roseanne Champagne, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Listen to her words. I'll give you another quote. I gave you one earlier. Here's a more recent one. The Bible is not some pragmatist's paradigm. It is the double-edged sword that chiseled truth into my stony heart, rendering it new, and with it, recreating me as a new creature in Christ, a daughter of the King. Mercy converts. And I mention all of this because the text we're going to read now is all about that. But you could, if you're not careful, miss it. Matthew chapter 9. Follow along with me in the gospel. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed Jesus. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Can we just stop there? How many of you are glad Jesus still eats with tax collectors and sinners? Yeah. You got invited to the banquet, didn't we? Okay. But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire what? Mercy. mercy. I desire mercy, 
not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's my question. Is Spanish River Church safe for sinners? Yes, yes it is. <laughs> Look around. <laughs> you see, there's a posture of heart that says mercy is so great, it reaches towards the people, the very people, and embraces the people that no one else thinks can be embraced by the grace and the mercy of God. We have too low a view of God's grace and mercy. We don't understand how wide its embrace is, how powerful its message is, how transforming is the work of the Holy Spirit who comes into the soul of someone who is trapped in so much sin and blindness and darkness that their heart is filled with racial hatred, the kind of grace that comes and reaches into the heart of someone who is full of pride, whether it's intellectual or academic pride, or trapped in a life that they will defend as correct and right, even though it's broken and sinful according to Scripture. And yet, mercy comes to those people boldly, brazenly, and embraces them. You say, well, how is that in this text here today? Well, it's in Matthew, the tax collector. You see, Matthew, who wrote this gospel, church history tells us, he wrote it first in Hebrew. He was a Jewish man. And we know his name in the other gospels a little differently. He's called in Luke's gospel, Levi. Levi was his Jewish name. Matthew was his Greek name. It's Levi, Matthew. And if his name is Levi, that tells you what tribe he came from. He came from the tribe of Levi. Now, the Levitical tribe, they were the ones who were responsible for the temple. That's where the priests came from. These were the people who were responsible, if you will, for temple maintenance. Everything going on in the beautiful temple, the most sacred place in all of, in all of Israel. Those were his people. And God said to the Levites, when he, when he set them apart for service in his house, he said, you know, Zebulun gets this land, and Naphtali gets this land, and Judah gets this land. Levi, you don't get any land. You get me. You get me. I'm your inheritance. But Levi Matthew, Levi Matthew, he traded in the temple for a tax booth. And he traded in God for a stack of gold. And he was very rich. And the richer a tax collector was in Israel, the more hated they were. And the reason for, and you could be a poor tax collector and be hated. You could be an understudy tax collector and be hated. Because to be a tax collector in Israel was not like being an IRS agent or something like that. No, 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 no. You were an employee of an occupying force. And you had no accountability. The Romans would say, you can charge this for your taxes, and they would charge that. But the way they made a living was by charging extra that no one could identify, and you had to pay it, or they would bring the Roman authorities down on your head. And so they would pocket the difference. There's a very famous tax collector in Luke's gospel named Zacchaeus who went up a tree 
to see Jesus. You know the story. Jesus comes and get out of that tree. What are you doing up there? I'm going to eat at your house today. And do you remember what repentance and conversion looks like for Zacchaeus? He returns everything he's stolen many, many times over. These were people who were collaborators with an occupying force who ripped off and stole from everyone, rich and poor. They were the most marginalized, despised, hated, loathed people in the whole of Israel. And everybody thought, there is no one further away from God, no one who could possibly come close to God than a tax collector. Then add to that a, a Levite tax collector who traded in the temple for a tax booth, that kind of person? No way, no way that guy gets in the kingdom. And here comes Jesus. With Jesus are his disciples. One of which is named Simon the Zealot. Now, Zealot doesn't mean Simon the Excited. A Zealot. The Zealots were a political terrorist group. They would kill straggling Roman soldiers who were on their own. And they especially liked to kill tax collectors. And Jesus has got one of those guys as one of his disciples. So here comes Jesus to the tax booth with, with Simon the Zealot. Maybe he was packing. What happens? What happened in the next few moments is what can happen to every single one of us. Jesus comes to the tax booth. It says he saw Matthew in his tax booth. He didn't see Matthew at home. He didn't see him with his friends. He saw him, he saw him in the middle of his sinful activity. Here's the first thing that happens with mercy. God sees us. He sees us. What do you suppose happen when, happens when God sees you? You think, well, if God really saw me. A few minutes ago in the, when we were taking communion, Timothy said, you should pray, Lord, search me and know my inner working. See if there's any hurtful way in me from that, that great prayer from Psalm 139. Search me, O God. That's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? I mean, if God were to really see me and see me in my sin, not just see me with my friends or, 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 or see me at church, God, God saw me. He sees through me. God would probably disapprove of me. But God saw Matthew. Jesus saw Matthew, and he saw him in his tax booth. And listen to this. Jesus loved Matthew. He loved Levi Matthew, and he loved him in his sin. Jesus did not say, Matthew, if you will clean up your act, get it together, come and see me in a few weeks when you're completely clear of all tax booth participation. No, no, no. Jesus comes to him in his sin. One of the greatest mistakes you can make if you're new with us here today is to imagine that the people around you have it together. We don't. The second greatest mistake you can make is to imagine that if you will clean up your act and get it together, 
and become a better person, then God will accept you. He will save you then. No, 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 no. Jesus comes to us. We don't come to him. We come to him because he first comes to us and he sees us not at our best. He sees us at our worst and he loves us at our worst. That is what mercy does. Mercy looks at the most obstinate opponent of the Christian faith, like Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus, breathing out threats against the Christians. All those crazy Christians, when I get my hands on them, I'm going to throw them in jail. I'm going to kill them. And Jesus looks at that guy and goes, Whoa, I want that guy. I want that guy. That's not the guy you wanted. When Jesus comes to Ananias and tells him about Saul of Tarsus, Ananias says, have you not read the papers? I mean, do you know, I mean, you talk, I mean, we're talking about the same guy. But by that point, they weren't, were they? Because if, listen to what the scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And so when Ananias comes up to Saul, he says, a beautiful word to him. He says a beautiful word. Brother Saul. Sister Rosaria. Because that's what mercy does. It sees us. Here's the second thing mercy does. Mercy summons us. Mercy summons us. He called him by name. Jesus didn't say, if there's anyone in the tax booth who would like to follow me, raise your hand. I see that hand. <laughs> no, he looked, him, he looked him right in the eye. He said, Levi, Matthew, you've traded, you've traded in God for gold. You traded in the temple for a tax booth. I'm telling you, I'm Emmanuel, God with us. I'm the one who's the Savior of the world. Matthew, Levi, Matthew, follow follow me. He summoned him. You know, there was a point in your life where Jesus called you by name. He said, come and follow me. Miriam, follow me. Ron, follow me. Greg, follow me. Joy, come and follow me. Connie, follow me. What did Matthew do? He didn't stack up the coins. He didn't put everything neatly away. He didn't put the papers in order. It says he rose and followed him. The word for rose there is the same word for resurrection. Because do you know what happens in conversion? When Jesus calls your name, when Jesus speaks your name and says, I'm calling you. When I'm, ca I'm calling you, that word has power. And the power that the word of God has is resurrection power. It's the power that changes stony hearts into flesh. It's the power that raises the dead. And when the power of Jesus' word struck Levi Matthew's dead heart, Levi Matthew's dead heart came alive. You've seen it happen. You see it in the movies. It's what happened to the Grinch. <laughs> you see Jim Carrey dressed as the Grinch, and he's laying there, and his heart has grown, and he's like, oh, Max, I'm leaking. And the tears running down his face. What's happened? His heart has been changed. He's been moved. The dead have come to life. Now, you see, I'm preaching away here this morning, and you've probably been in a service where maybe an evangelist was preaching, and he got to the climactic moment of his message, and he said, if you need to be converted, if you need to give your life to Christ, now is the time. Today is the day. Raise your hand. I see those hands. I see those hands. And maybe you've been in a service like that. There's nothing wrong with that. I get it. There's nothing wrong with that. And you go, oh, look at those people. Got their hands up. And you go, well, that's nice. That's nice. 
That's nice. Hey, 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 let's, let's get the right view of mercy. Let's suppose instead of having service here, we met at the morgue. I'm preaching at the morgue, Boca Morgue. Now, I know there's some churches like that, but that's a different issue. Okay, so <laughs> I'm preaching at the morgue, and I preach my best message. Everything I've got, I give it my all. How many of you know the response doesn't depend on whether or not I give it my all? Right? So I get to the end of the message, you're kind of gathered around the sides, and there's, I'm pre- there are all the bodies that are spread out in there. And I go, if anybody here wants to give their life to the Lord, please raise your hand. What are you doing if a hand goes up? You go, I'm out of here, man. That's the scariest church service I've ever been in in my life. And here's what you wouldn't be saying. You wouldn't be saying, oh, that's nice. No, you'd say what? You'd say, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. It's a miracle that any human person is saved. It's a miracle that I am saved. It's a miracle that you're saved. It's a miracle that the dead come alive. That's what mercy does. He summoned him. Come and follow me. He rose and followed him. Wesley put it so beautifully, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's what happens in conversion. And that's why mercy shocks The next day, Matthew threw a party for all of his, the union of Jerusalem tax collectors. And the entire guild was there, and Jesus and his disciples were there. Can you imagine that? Matthew, the tax collector, welcoming Simon the zealot. Surprised to see you here. Same to you, buddy. (laughs) They're all eating there at the table. And the the pastors of Capernaum show up, standing outside going, this is a bizarre gathering. We thought Jesus was a holy man. We thought Jesus was a holy man. Why is Jesus with people who are unclean? Doesn't he know that the unclean make the clean unclean if they touch them? Because that's the way the system worked. If the holy touched the unholy, then the holy became unholy. That's the way the system worked. Until, until this moment. Because when Jesus, the holiest of all, came on the scene, when the unholy touched the holy, the unholy became forgiven. And so Jesus turned to all the pastors at Capernaum and he said, you've got religion coming out the wazoo, but hear me, I desire Chesed, mercy, chesed. It's a tough word in Hebrew to translate. There's over 43 different English ways of translating it. The loving kindness of God, the tender mercies of the Lord. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I'd rather have you shut down your religious services. Shut your churches if you would simply extend mercy to sinners. There's more joy in heaven over one person who repents than over 99 people who don't need any. Just one. He shocked them. Mercy is shocking. So let me close with two questions. Number one, what's the most shocking conversion you can think of? That's my first question. 
What's the most shocking conversion you can think of? Think for a minute. What's the most shocking conversion you can think of? If the answer to your question is anyone other than you, then you are with the Pharisees along the wall. You should be stunned and amazed that you are converted. Who am I that God would have mercy on me? See, we think we didn't have a tax booth. We think we're not that bad. But a single sin, a single sin of envy, of greed, of hate, of pride, the root of all, would weigh a soul down to hell itself. And Jesus does not, when he looks at our heart and he sees the de degradation, when he sees the darkness in our heart, Jesus does not look at us with his hands folded and say, do better. Jesus looks at sinners like you and me and he embraces us and he says, I have hesed, I have loving kindness, I have mercy on you. I'm bringing you from death to life. I don't want heaven without you. I'm coming down to get you. I'm gonna bring you from death to life and ultimately I'm gonna bring you to heaven where you and I can be together forever at the greatest feast that's ever been. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you in ways you can't begin to imagine. What would make God come and save me? Mercy. So here's my second question. Have you been converted? Have you heard him call your name? You may have grown up in church. You may have never been to church before today. You may be watching online and accidentally tuned in. But this is the most important question I can ever ask you. Have you been converted? Have you had a Levi Matthew moment? where Jesus called your name. And you didn't say, I'll try to do better. You didn't say, I need a little religion. You know, make my life a little, a little better for the kids. You know, for the kids. No, you said, I'm going to walk away from the tax booth. I'm just going to walk away. And wherever he's going, I'm going. Wherever he's going, I'm going. And your heart knew it was forgiven. And your steps were going to be reordered. And I believe all over this room today and watching online are people who need to be converted. You need Jesus. I have news for you. We all do. And that's why he came. That's why there's a Christmas because we needed a savior. He didn't come to make you feel better. He didn't come to make you rich. He didn't come to do any number of different things that everybody thinks he came to do. He came to save. And he will save you completely. Let's pray. Lord, how we long 
to see your saving mercy in lives. We are wondering and amazed at your mercy in our lives. And now, Lord, we pray for all those who don't yet know you, that they would come to know you, and that you would deliver us from our own tax booths and help us to rise and follow you in the shocked amazement of the mercy of God and all God's people said.